Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, none of us escapes tough times in life, right? It's just, it's part of being a person. It may look a little bit different for everybody and may, you know, be an illness. It may be a life situation. It may be some circumstance out of your control. But the reality is we can only play the cards that were dealt. And that's, at least for me, as someone who's pretty proactive and, and uh, you know, really likes to drive outcomes, that can be very tough to know that there isn't that sphere of control. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and you are in for a treat, a treat that you haven't experienced in probably months or years, because I've got Amy all the way in from Southern California with me today. and. I don't think people really understand how dynamic this woman is and the things that she's overcome and how she is showing up and connecting people with deals that they wouldn't traditionally have opportunities to get involved with. True champion, a true crusader, but I'm not going to ruin the intro. Amy, how are you? Jerome, I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me. That's a, a really humbling introduction and I'm just really excited to hang out with you and provide value to your listeners. Well, yeah, I think that goes without saying. <laughs> I mean, as soon as you show up, you start providing value, whether it's the witty humor or, you know, your subject matter expertise. And so, you know, you've had a really interesting, we'll call it three or four year transformation, right? You went from being on disability to acquiring a huge multifamily portfolio. So if you don't mind, can we take the listeners on the journey and just kind of break down like where you were and kind of how last year ended up and what's been going on this year? Yeah, absolutely. So you want to start about three, four years ago? Yeah, let's go there first and then right. we'll go back and get the other stuff later for more context. Perfect. Yes, thank you for setting that up. Well, yeah, and... Just three or four years ago, I was medically disabled. I'm 41 years old now. So four years ago, let's say 37. 
I have cystic fibrosis. It's a genetic illness. Some may have heard of it that primarily impacts my lungs. And my lungs have been gradually deteriorating throughout my entire life. And they really reached a pretty tough point uh, in 2017. So about five years ago, if I could do math at this time, where I just wasn't able to hold down a job. It was, you know, I'm pretty driven. I really am driven by, you know, contribution and being able to, to impact the world. So my body not allowing me to do so was quite candidly pretty devastating. But thankfully, at the end of 2019, a drug that we had been praying for, hoping for, fundraising for, came to the market and completely changed my life and the life of the vast majority of people with cystic fibrosis. So my health has been restored and I decided to utilize that to build a real estate portfolio with my investors. Okay. So like, why? Why not just kind of hang out, right? Like, I mean, because it's hard. I mean, did you grow up with people who invested in real estate? No, no, very humble, middle-class, lower middle-class family. My, in fact, my father is 69 years old and still does manual labor. So definitely not something that, yeah, was something I, I grew up around. And it's a really great question because I, despite my improved health, I could have been on disability for the rest of my life. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. It's a tool that, you know, some people desperately need. But, you know, I really wanted to see what I was capable of. It had been a dream that had been on my heart for, longer than a decade to figure out how to not have to trade my time for money. And most importantly, use it as a vehicle to impact some important charities, organizations that are near and dear to my husband's heart. So I love a good challenge, uh, especially when it seems, you know, maybe people haven't done it as much before as a woman that's disabled, you know, hey, what can we do? Let, let, let's see what's out there. So that's what's really driving me. How'd you get exposed to it though? Because I feel like if... You don't know somebody, you don't know about it. So true. Well, I was quite candidly on a desperate search to figure out how to be self-sufficient. Having cystic fibrosis meant I knew a ton of people in my community and knew what my fate likely would be, where I would be too sick to work, would likely either eventually need a lung transplant or, you know, my lungs would stop working. So all I knew was how to trade my time for money. And when you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that your health is going to get worse. I like, well, how do I get a bigger, better job? How do I save? My parents sacrificed so much raising me. You know, you can imagine having a child with, with a disability. And while, of course, they would always do whatever they could to support me as an adult, I didn't want to have to go back to them and say, hey, I'm too sick. You help me pay my bills. So I stumbled upon that purple book that I think many of us know about, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, in the Santa Monica Library. And when I tell you that my head exploded, I just like, oh my gosh, there's another way to earn income where I could be sick in the hospital maybe and still, yeah, have money work for me and pay my bills. So it was a such a mindset shift and quite candidly, quite a blessing to know that such a thing existed. So the book was a turning point for me. Wow. Okay. And so I'm sure some of our listeners aren't familiar with cystic fibrosis and they might be Googling trying to figure out what it is. But if you had to explain it to a Labrador retriever, how would you how would you say it? <laughs> so it is a genetic illness. So both of my parents are silent carriers. They didn't know. And it primarily manifests itself in P. 
people's lungs and my lungs. So thick, sticky mucus without getting too gory. Uh, it's kind of characteristic, causing a lot of coughing, infections, infections that need to be treated in the hospital, as opposed to, you know, like taking an antibiotic or something that, you know, that just makes it go away. And those repeated infections over the years cause significant lung damage and then an eventual kind of lungs not working anymore. So a lung transplant is generally needed. So when I was born, I was supposed to live to be about 16, 18 years old. I'm 41 now. I love to talk about that. <laughs> you can see my gray hair. I wear it prou proudly. But yeah, that's really characteristic of the illness or was prior to uh, this miracle medication coming to the market. Okay. And so we just had this respiratory disease thing happen over the past couple of years. What did you think when you heard about it and how did it impact your world? What I heard about the medication or real estate? COVID. COVID. Oh, COVID. Oh, that thing. Oh, yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty overwhelming. As you can imagine, despite, you know, feeling better, I still have, you know, some scar tissue and, and lung things that, you know, don't impact me on a day to day, but that could really, you know, not be great during COVID. So I, I was pretty isolated and quite candidly a bit disappointed because I got this new miracle drug in November of 2019. And we all know what March 2020 brought. I was under contract under my, with my first deal. <laughs> I couldn't go out to do due diligence. Uh, because, you know, my doctors didn't want me traveling. So it was a scary time without a doubt, but, um, we can get into it. But so as with all scary times, it just depends on what you decide to do with it. You can turn it into a positive. Wow. And so your first deal, you're under contract, you purchase it, but you never visit it and you help raise money to put money in the deal. And so some people may be saying, well, how is that possible? Like, how do you buy real estate? Get other people to invest in your first deal and never go and see it. So, I mean, what's the magic in that black box there? Yes, the magic of partnership. Uh, you know, this is a team sport without a shadow of a doubt. So living all the way in Los Angeles and looking at deals in the southeast of the United States, having business partners that have complementary skills that you have relationships with, that you trust, that can be boots on the ground and yeah, work as a team is incredibly effective. It really is the magic sauce for this industry. Okay. And so get more technical with me, more tactical. You yes. have partners and they, am I reading too much in between the lines and saying they were able to do the stuff that you couldn't? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Especially at that time when I couldn't travel. So working with property management, being boots on the ground, doing due diligence where we always walk every single unit, uh, and inspect the entire property. So yes, absolutely, they were able to to do that. You don't necessarily want to buy a property sight unseen. No judgment for anyone who does, but you know, for us and at our level of uh, risk mitigation, that's important. So yes, thankfully they were able to do that. But the whole world really opened up to me, ironically, as I was raising capital and doing other things because everyone was on Zoom, right? I wasn't the only one sheltering in place which is something I was used to kind of being the only one with the respiratory, you know, fear. Now everyone had the respiratory fear. A lot of people did. So yeah, a lot of things really opened up in terms of connecting with folks during that time, ironically. So how did you meet these people? Because I mean, you said you had pretty humble beginnings. Your dad's still doing manual labor in his 60s. How did you meet these 
rich people who could invest money in deals. Well, in terms of the capital raising side, you know, I've taken several approaches, but it really is simply talking to folks about what I do. I think a lot of people think of capital raising as selling or trying to coerce people. But the truth of the matter is most people love real estate, understand how it can help build wealth and build a legacy. So simply talking about what I do to my network of folks I used to work at work, work, uh, excuse me, work with in my W-2 or college and university connections, even people just local to Los Angeles who aren't interested in investing here, shocker, (laughs) but and don't want to create another job for themselves, right? By sourcing properties in Tennessee. You know, that's they're too busy to do that with their own lives and children and families and such. So um it's a it's a very natural conversation and something that gets a lot of people excited. Okay. All right. So you said the the uh, it's a curse word, the W two. What about, what did you do in the W-2? Because, I mean, a lot of folks who are probably listening are like, man, I don't know any rich people and I got a job. What what is this woman talking about? (laughs) I was in biotech, as you may be able to gather now. I'm really driven by impact. And because growing up with this illness, being around the medical field, I was really fascinated and eager to find a way to contribute to other people who were going through struggles with their health. So working in biotech, especially in the sales and marketing area, was incredibly rewarding for me. So I spent the better part of 13 years in that sector, uh, working with others with grievous illness. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Part of me definitely misses it. Wow. Uh, I mean, I still think you're making an impact with the investments that you're making in people's housing, right? I mean, it might not be a medicine, but environment is really, really, really important. And, you know, for the listeners who don't listen to Multifamily Missteps, Amy came on that podcast and shared a really funny story. Would you, can we revisit that just for a couple of Uh, minutes to talk about how you've been able to make an impact in the the life of at least one person for sure? Yes, absolutely. Are we talking about the, the woman that we encountered? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I will share the story, but it still breaks my heart a little bit. So, okay, let's go. Do you want to tee it up? You want me to tee it up, Jerome? Go. Just go. go. The day after we took over this property in Tennessee, this is about a year and a half ago, we received a call from our property management company letting us know that there was a wheelchair-bound woman that the previous owners and the previous property management put on the second floor of a building that didn't have an elevator. So she was scooting down on her tush the stairs in order to go in and out of her apartment complex, which I think all of our hearts break to hear when someone has, you know, some mobility challenges that they're living in a place that makes it even less accessible, just heartbreaking. So thankfully, you know, we were able to find that, you know, find out that this was occurring and understand her, what she was doing and relocate her into some temporary housing in a hotel until we were able to get a first floor unit available for her so she could have uh, you know, all the freedom and mobility that she deserved. And we paid her moving expenses out of our own pockets, not out of the property, but you know, it's the right thing to do, right? Help her uh, pack up her stuff and, and make things right. So it's a privilege to be able to be in a situation where you can really care for people and, and do the right thing. I obviously hate that she was in that situation, but Gosh, it still gives me goosebumps to think, you know, we were able to really impact one person's life that way. Wow. I mean, 
It seems really insensitive, and I'm sure whoever made that decision feels like they made a good choice. But, you know, looking at it behind the decision being made, I just struggle with the concept of somebody have to scoot up and downstairs in order to be able to get to a place to go to sleep. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. It really makes me sad, but we fixed it. And that's that's what really is the takeaway uh, that makes me happy that we had that ability. So... Where did this heart for people, this caring energy that just emanates from you come from? It's, yeah, that's a really good question. I I think, you know, growing up with, I had to grow up pretty early having cystic fibrosis and, you know, interact with a lot of folks and have peers that suffered quite a bit with the illness as well. And I think hopefully it's given me a great amount of empathy and ability to put myself in other people's shoes and understand what they're feeling or maybe what their needs are. It takes a lot of energy, I'm not going to (laughs) lie, to to really think and care about people, but it's just who I am and what feels like the right thing to do for me. Everyone deserves to feel safe and secure and loved and taken care of, and that very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I I feel like it's rarer than it should be, so I I really just wanted to acknowledge that. And so, all right, you're, you're working for 13 years. And then you mentioned that you were on disability. You do a complete pivot while you're on disability. You come back out doing the multifamily thing. What did that do to you on the inside when you left the career behind? Because I I can only imagine, you know, not knowing if you're going to live past the age of 16 to getting through school and graduate school, getting into biotech and going out and selling and She's being modest, ladies and gentlemen. She wasn't just on the team. She was a leader for the nation, for the company, for year after year. And and then, like, going back to this place of, well, I can't take care of myself. I need help. I'm sure there's somebody out there who is looking at something similar situation-wise. Or they're in the middle of it right now. And so, can we we get down in the hole with them and, and talk about, like, what that feels like so they know we understand and then talk about how we got out of there because I I think this can really help somebody. I love that. And you're spot on. You know, none of us escapes tough times in life, right? It's just, it's part of being a person. It may look a little bit different for everybody and may, you know, be an illness. It may be a life situation. It may be some circumstance out of your control, but the reality is we can only play the cards that were dealt. And that's, at least for me, as someone who's pretty proactive and and, uh, you know, really likes to drive outcomes, that can be very tough to know that there isn't that sphere of control. So, yeah, if, if you're going through something, if you have, you're currently in the depths of it, gosh, you know, all the encouraging words, you know, going towards you, of course. For me, what was really helpful was thinking about the next best step, maybe as as corny as that sounds, but really focusing on what was within my control. I could... Some days read a chapter of a book. I could some days, you know, meditate and work on my mindset. I could some days give encouraging words and support to others. So even though I wasn't able to live the life exactly as I wanted, being in a career that I loved and, you know, kind of creating the lifestyle that I wanted, it didn't mean that there weren't things um, out of my control that I couldn't impact in whether personally or impact other people. So knowing that you could impact things gave you hope. And then you were just playing solitary. What's when, with the cards I have, 
what's the next move that I can make that's going to get me closer to the place where I want to be, right? Yes, that's it. And that just keeps it from being overwhelming, right? Because you're just doing one thing. Yes. Yeah, I think we all have big goals. Hopefully we do, right? We should have those BHAGs, those big, hairy, audacious goals. But how do you tackle them? You know, whether you're in a situation where life is tough or maybe life is great and you still have, you know, BHAGs you're going after, taking one bite at a time, figuring out what is that exact next step can feel so fantastic because you know you're making forward momentum, but you're not completely overwhelmed thinking, how in the world am I going to get from where I am to all the way over there? That can be, that can slow some people down or even, you know, cause people to stop, right? Without question. I mean, stop or not start because they're scared they're going to fail. I find that there's a lot of people who don't even try because they think they won't be successful in the outcome because they don't have the support. They don't have the strategy and they don't have the stamina to get through it, right? And stamina is kind of a a play on words with somebody who's got impacted lung capacity. So, all right. Was there a moment in that space where you weren't working that you would call the rock bottom where it's like, something's got to happen and I got to make it happen. Without a doubt. It, it, <laughs> it happened pretty quickly. As you can probably tell, I'm decently energetic. Um, having something to do every day with a job, having a purpose and a goal and having that all stop. I think maybe sounds somewhat attractive to some people like, oh, I can just kind of hang out. And, and that's not me though. You know, I, I've got a busy mind that is always thinking about things to do. And it was only a few weeks in with kind of the novelty wore off of what am I going to do with myself? Why am I here? You know, what is not to get too spiritual, but yeah, what there has to be some sort of meaning from this waiting time, which is tough. Uh, and I had a lot of journaling and self-help books and conversations with my creator about what are, what, what does this need to look like? How can I be the most effective, even if it means just waiting patiently? So. Yeah, I was I was quite overwhelmed just even a few weeks into being on disability and made a few big decisions as a result, thinking, all right, it's not now when, it's not me who. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you started questioning the purpose thing. And what's really interesting about that is many people don't actually get to that place where they're questioning, is there more? Or what was it all for until they're like in a great place financially and they realize that the money doesn't fix it all, right? The prosperity, which is level five in our Red Pill model, is where people feel like they got it all figured out and then they get disappointed because it's like, oh, I still feel yep. empty. I'm still yep. trying to find the thing. And then they start chasing their mortality, legacy, what we call significance. And yes. you're you're in that space. You're like, I'm still here. I'm a miracle. You talk about the drug, but I'm a miracle, right? I'm I'm twice as old as they thought I would be at the minimum, right? Yeah, at this point. Yeah, and yeah. then like, what am I doing? Right. I, I I often say, hey, I'm here on borrowed time. I know that I was supposed to die on August 13th of 2005. But a lot of people don't take the chance to reflect or pause so they can reflect and ask that really tough question. And so when you started asking those questions, what did you hear? What did the voices say? They weren't clear. I, I really, it, it took a while to get clarity, truly. Because as you mentioned, you know, I, I, I truly don't believe, you know, any of us is here, any of us are here on accident, um, myself included. 
But it's really hard when you're in and out of the hospital. And, you know, at that point, I had tried getting into real estate several times, you know, even before I medically retired. And I failed, you know, several times. My health kept getting in the way. And so I really had a lot of thoughts and conversations with with God about why is real estate still on my heart? Why is helping disadvantaged children in Los Angeles through no fault of their own that don't have the same opportunities, for example, I did? Why is that on my heart if I feel like there's nothing I can do because I'm just trying to breathe and cough my way through the day? This this doesn't make any sense. In fact, it almost feels cruel to have these dreams and these desires without the physical ability to reach them. So I think that's really when I got that clarity. Eventually, it took a bit of that next best step of you got a book on the shelf, read the book. It may take you two weeks because you can't focus because you're not sleeping because you're coughing all night, but you can read a page, you can read a chapter and then... Yeah, you can journal a few things and make sure you understand debt service cover- coverage ratio and make sure you understand, you know, the different types of leverage you can get in real estate. So I think that's where all of that came from. Of This is a time to really focus not on what I can't do, but what is in front of me, as I mentioned. And what felt like really insignificant steps were actually really solid groundwork and foundation for what happened once I got healthy. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, AKA the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. The people underestimate the groundwork, the, the foundational stuff. They don't realize that their success is very much like a bamboo tree where it's growing underground and you can't see anything for so long. And you don't really understand how far it's growing or how deep or broad things are going. And then you just all of a sudden you see something shoot out and you're like, oh, well, yeah, they just started and it's amazing. And like, no, it didn't just start. And I certainly didn't feel amazing when I was struggling through this thing. Yeah. So so we're going to zoom back past the drug, past you getting started in real estate. And maybe we'll talk about when you're under contract on that first deal, right? What was your biggest fear in the process? I've always been pretty open about my health struggles, but it with, you know, in my professional life, but I was always an employee and kind of knew (laughs) that I was protected. And so being an entrepreneur and finding a group of people to work with that I was really eager to be a team player and to contribute and having to talk about the fact that, yeah, I told you all that I'm healthy now. I have this great drug, but guess what? This I didn't see this pandemic coming and I'm kind of struggling to be able to figure out how I can be on site and be a contributor. Ooh, it still, it still makes me tense thinking about it. It was just hard to be able to potentially let people, let business partners down uh, because of something that I thought was kind of in my past in terms of health struggles that actually wasn't. I was also nervous about you know, my investors, I care tremendously about 
folks that invest money with me, way more so than my own money. <laughs> it's a responsibility and quite frankly, a gift that people, uh, you know, want to invest and being good stewards of their capital is very important. So doing something for the first time, of course, you know, I wanted to make sure all T's were crossed, all I's were dotted. We mitigated all risk, but I did have limiting beliefs around what if something went wrong? What if, you know, this COVID thing is even worse than any of us could ever imagine? Lots of what ifs. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of people look that don't live in California, look at California, Silicon Valley, and they're like, people just raise money. And if it doesn't work out, they kind of shrug their shoulders because it's other people's money. And you're just like, no, I don't want to let anybody down. I want things to go as planned or better than planned, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. People work hard for their money. I don't care who you are. People work hard. They make sacrifices. They take time away from their family, from hobbies. You know, not intentionally, but that's just how time works, right? You're, it is a zero-sum game with time. So if people are going to entrust me and decide to invest alongside of me, those are their working hours, their blood, sweat, and tears represented in dollar signs. And I take that extremely seriously. Yeah. So, you know, you found partners for somebody out there who's trying to figure that piece out. Right? Who do I trust with capital? Like, do I need to go out and build my own partnership? Like, what should they be asking when they talk to people who are doing this other than are you going to treat my money better than you treat your money? It's, yeah, yeah. I think a conversation around values is incredibly important. And, and that can you know, that can take several conversations around, you know, because everyone see it has a model of the world that's different. So, you know, for me, putting residents first and making sure, like in that example, that people have safe, secure housing is just as important to me as getting my investors their return. In fact, I think they're inextricably linked, but that's my model of the world. I believe that that can be true and that is true, that you can treat people well and that actually enhances returns. Some people may think differently and that and that's totally fine. But, you know, how does that sit with you as an investor? Does that, you know, how how are your operators or folks that you're deciding to partner with think about those things and make those decisions? And I think looking at, yeah, looking at track record or understanding how folks solve problems. You and I were having a great conversation, Jerome, just yesterday about, you know, there are unknown unknowns out there and that's normal. But are you working with someone that knows how to find the answers. Not do they always have the answers because there may be some surprises, but do people stop at nothing to get the answer, to utilize resources, to utilize their team to solve problems and reach the outcome that everyone's looking for? I think both of those things are incredibly important to understand and talk about. So you're looking for people who are going to find the answers. You're looking for people who have the same values as you. And so you, and the values remain even if it's, inconvenient may cost a little bit of money. Especially, yes. Yeah. I, so it's not truly a value or principle or moral if it goes away, if you have to sacrifice something, right? <laughs> That's the irony of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Then it's just a convenience. Yeah. I, I think so many people miss that piece because everybody has a, a great game face when things are going well, right? Yep. Everybody says all the right things when it doesn't cost them anything. There's no sacrifice. But when you really get into it, 
Because entrepreneurship business is it's not an easy game. Right. It doesn't always go to plan. Yeah. Are you going to get me out of it? You know, one of, one of my friends out in California, Spencer Hillegas, he says, I won't partner with anybody unless they've had a loss. Right? Right. Unless they've gotten punched in the face as an entrepreneur. Wow. Yeah. Because if they haven't, then they'll probably do it while we're working together. And huh. They may fold. And I need to know that my person's not going to fold. What wisdom. Wow. Spencer. Yeah. Yep. So, that is nice. But I mean, it, it's very similar to what you're saying with the figuring it out. Right? They're going to figure it out no matter what. They're committed to that. That's part of their code. That's their DNA. Yeah. And they've been in those situations before. So they have extreme confidence that even if they can't figure it out with their own understanding or wisdom, they can go find other people in their network who can help them do it. So, all right. How much real estate did you buy last year? <laughs> Let's do some math. We had 276 units in Evansville, Indiana. We had 58 units in Clarksville, Tennessee. My amazing business partner and I, Christy Keaton, bought 80 units in Augusta, Georgia. So too many units to count, but yes, we, we did, we did quite a bit in 2021. It was a great year for us. Uh, that, that sounds like a lot of money. Okay. So you guys raised money, you found deals, you bought deals, they're operating. And I think that's the part where most things fall apart. Nobody talks about it on LinkedIn. Right? That part is not sexy. Nobody wants to talk about expense ratios. Nobody wants to talk about capital budgets and yes. construction or falling behind or any of, of that stuff. And so you talked about your fear of being letting partners down mm. and your investors not getting the returns that they want. How did you overcome that? How did you not let that keep you hostage? You know, I think a lot about trade-offs and, you know, mindset work around, you know, something can feel scary, something can feel overwhelming, but it's not always a sign that you shouldn't do something. <laughs> In fact, it may actually be a sign that you're on the road to expansion, to improving yourself, towards reaching your goals. So I think our culture lies to us in in some sense about achieving goals and growing ourselves, that it's a smooth path. And, you know, people that have figured it out are just amazing and have never had doubts or fears. Um, so yeah, working with others that help encourage my mindset and really anchoring into the fact that I can feel the fear and do it anyway, because there are tools <laughs> where we can mitigate risk, right? There are ways to influence outcomes. And what's the downside? What's going to happen if I don't do it? What's my life going to be like if I don't care for the woman who is having mobility issues and can't get on the second floor of, or can't get to her unit because on the second floor? What about the children in inner city Los Angeles that I wouldn't be able to donate money to for after school programs because, you know, through no fault of their own, they're, they're disadvantaged in several ways. So keeping focused on the goals that won't happen, not just about myself. Most importantly, about the impact I could have on others really fueled me and pushed me to move forward. So we're back to purpose. Yes, sir. <laughs> and it driving you to continue to push and do the uncommon thing. That's phenomenal. And it also shows me that you, you stopped thinking about yourself and it was about others. And I think when we start like putting ourselves in those boxes, in those prisons, we're being selfish. 
right? Mm-hmm. We yes. are, it's about us and our comfort and not what we could do for others. Would you agree with that or am I missing it? No, I, I think you're spot on. I think, yes, a purpose above and beyond ourselves can be enormously impactful. And I would argue is one of the reasons that we're here. What what are the purposes of us and our existence is, yes, to live our purpose for others and to contribute in that way. So, and that can really help overcome some fears. Uh, you know, it's it's wise to be diligent. It's wise to be mindful and, and not be reckless, but normalizing fear and hesitancy, I think is important as well, to your point. Normalizing fear. You know, somebody told me you're not courageous if you don't feel fear. Ooh. I was like, oh, no. He's like, yeah, you can't be brave if there's nothing that you're scared of. Mic drop. Yeah, that's big. How dare you say that? Because there's so many people who have all the answers and they're so strong and right. And they're yeah. only doing things they're comfortable with. So, I mean, what are they really doing? They're not really brave and courageous. But you're, you're just demonstrating how that is a thing, right? You are that. And so, I mean, what a wild ride, Amy. I am just amazed that like how you've conquered so many big challenges, right? I think most people would be okay with doing one, but like we're, we're going down the list. And so I'm thinking about where you are now versus where you were in that, in that rock bottom. What would you say is the biggest difference in your approach to life between now and then? I think there are several things. I work much more intentionally on mindset um, than, than I ever have. I was really in survival mode for decades, just trying to exist and keep alive, if I'm, if I'm candid, in many ways. And I didn't realize that I had room to kind of work on other aspects of myself other than just keeping my lungs running and, you know, intentionally focusing on how my mind works, what I feed my mind, surrounding myself with coaches that are like-minded and, and, and business partners that that have the same values of expansion. I think all of those things work on my mindset and help me curate the reality that I'm hoping to bring to fruition. So I didn't do that. Everything several years ago was just what's right in front of me. What is the next thing I need to do? Life was just kind of happening at me and to me. I much more have the ability now to create my reality and influence it in in a proactive way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So you you put that adjective in there. I think it's an adjective. I'm not really good at English, but you said proactive. Tell me more about that because I think that word was placed there intentionally. Yes. I really didn't, as you can imagine, having a health challenge that you're just born with, genetic lottery, however you want to think about it, doesn't give you a lot of sense of control. Maybe I would argue even a bit of large helplessness, like this is just the way that it is. So spending a lot of time focusing on and planning on a life that often just didn't come to fruition because there were health challenges and obstacles that would seemingly come out of nowhere, at least for me, didn't lead to me being overly proactive and thinking about the future and designing goals and, and, and the like. I would argue I did have more control than I realized, but you know that's a different story. But now, yeah, I really, I thankfully have the space and uh, the training that I've intentionally invested in to, again, as you mentioned, be proactive. Think about every single morning when I wake up, what are my goals? Visualizing, 
what my future will be with those goals, how I can impact others and what life will be like with my husband, you know, as as we design and co-create our future. So I didn't do that before. (laughs) I just kind of did what was in front of me. Um, And now I'm creating it instead of letting it happen to me proactively. Hope that answers your question. Well, you're using the word, right? And you said create. And I think that's when we're closest to whatever higher power you believe in, right? For me, I I like to say God, right? I I think we are closest to being gods or a, a God when we are creating. And we can create our life. We create our reality. We create our habits. We cre- we get to choose. And so many people give that up, right? They choose to take the blue pill and just sit in ignorant bliss. They just sit in the space that they're in and decide that they're only going to do what's given to them. And you said, no. You said, no, I'm not going to die at 16. No, I'm not going to give up my ability to be a productive member of society. No, I'm not going to stay on a disability. And yes, I am going to help people find opportunities where they can make a positive impact on the lives of other people, because that's what my life is about. And I can help show you how to do the same thing. And for me, that is the epitome of what a dream catcher is. Right? A dream catcher is a person who goes out, sets their sights on something that most people think is out of reach, and they get the support that they need, and they have the strategy, and people go with them on that journey so they can take a break if they need to, but in the end, they have the stamina in order to achieve the outcome. And you have done that, and you continue to do that as you explore and grow and continue to expand your network and spread your message, What I th- which I think is completely and utterly and totally inspiring for anybody out there. Because, I mean, what's your excuse? Like, Amy couldn't breathe. Like, what's your excuse for not doing the thing, right? And you you talked about, hey, it wasn't clear in the beginning when I started asking the questions down there in that bottom. And you kept chipping at it. You kept listening. You kept clarifying it, right? You there, there's something in that stone and you're just chiseling away. And then it's like, oh, here's the thing. And now I got to build out the rest of it because I, I see the outline, but let me get the rest of it out. And let me bring other people in to help do this. And that's so exciting. For me, it's so exciting, right? And I, I could tell the listeners are smiling about this because they know they want to root for the underdog, the person who overcame the adversity, the one who was told that, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to do that. And you decided that your standard was above that. So Amy, like, what dream are you most focused on catching that? Oh, there are two charities that I want to put out of the fundraising business. <laughs> I want to retire them. Big, hairy, audacious goals. But uh, I mentioned, uh, or maybe I didn't, Heart of Los Angeles is an after-school program that my husband and I are very, very committed to. Uh, the charity itself is under-resourced and we want to endow them to the extent that we're, they won't have to fundraise anymore. And there's another organization, about 10% of people with cystic fibrosis don't benefit from the medication, the miracle medication that I'm on, and they're left behind. And I think about them every time I take my miracle drug. And Emily's Entourage, named after my dear friend, Emily kramer Golenkoff, who is part of that 10% group, they're feverishly working with scientists and researchers to 
discover the medication that will help them. And they have to spend a lot of time fundraising. And I want to put them out of the fundraising business as well by endowing them. Wow. And so I've done an endowment. And so some of the listeners, I get it right off the bat, right? But some of the listeners may not understand what an endowment is. And so if we go to the inner city school program, like, tell me, like, how much does it take to operate? Maybe if you're putting them out of business and what type of endowment, what type of gift would need to be made in order to actually achieve that goal? Give us the math, because that's when we know people are serious about the goal. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's eight in the morning and I don't have the math right on top of my head, Jerome, <laughs> if I'm candid. But it is, it is going to take a, a significant amount, several million, to be able to endow them. But we're also, you know, we know their expenses. We understand all that, but we'd like for them to be able to actually expand. So our goal is above and beyond their current operation to to make it even larger. So um, I'm sorry, I don't have those numbers off the top well, of my head. The order of math, I guess what I was really trying to get to, not specifically, is their ma- their numbers, but like what type of gift would need to be made in order to make a real dent in their operations? Is it $500,000? Is it a million? Is it 5 million? Like give us maybe order of magnitude. Yeah. Close to 5 million. Okay. It's a big one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's big or not to run a full organization. Right. And the, the thought that you would want to give that level of wealth away this is a really interesting one because I don't think most people even aspire to have that level of wealth for themselves and their family, let alone to the desire to give it away. Yeah. And so it just keeps coming back that, you know, you want to give, you want to take care of others. And I, I, I just think it's, it's rare, but it, it's clear that your heart is in the right place and you're not doing all of this for personal gain, although you should be able to take care of yourself if you're doing good things for other people. Yeah. And so let me... Let me go to final question. And it's the one I ask every guest that comes on the Dreamcatchers podcast. And it's simply, what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? Encouragement. Want them to feel encouraged. Even if they're in that, that dark valley of wondering, you know, what is their purpose? What is, you know, why are they here? Why are they going through struggle? The next best step, figuring out what is within your control, what you can do, it exists. It absolutely exists. Even if it feels like life is happening to you and you don't have that sphere of control, I would just encourage you to understand what you can do, even if it feels like a tiny little thing. I think I'm an example of what that can do when you focus on that and just take one bite at a time, if you will. Amy, don't think you're an example. Know that you're an example. And we've got it documented on the Dreamcatchers podcast. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your experience, your wisdom. Just so grateful to have you in our ecosystem. Likewise, Jerome. I'm so grateful to work with you. You're an amazing coach. Thank you. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.